Hello and welcome to Permission to Be. I'm your host, Becca Epley, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, David Roberts. Today, we have the privilege of having Patrice Gopo with us. She is a woman of many talents, including um, being a wonderful author. She has had um, articles appear in the New York Times, the Washington Post. Most recently, within the last year, she has published a book um, called All of the Colors We Will See. Patrice, thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much. It is a real pleasure to be here. So Patrice, one of the things we like to start with, um, just kind of as an icebreaker question, is if someone could play you, you know, when you're big and famous, <laughs> if there is an actress um, who you would like, or actor, or multiple ones, like to play you and represent your life, who or whom might that be? Yeah, no, it's a good question. And I'm, I've been thinking about it. And honestly, I, I'm not entirely sure her name. I've, it's flipped my mind at this point. But do either of you watch This Is Us? Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So actually, I have only seen season one and season two because I often wait until a show has reached the end of a season. And then I'll just kind of sit and binge watch because yep. I'm a little impatient and I don't like having to wait week <laughs> to week. So we instead will wait like a year <laughs> until we can but. <laughs> The woman who plays Beth, so Randall's wife on This Is Us, I think she would be a great person to play me. Oh and it sure, could be sure. that maybe I just feel connection to her character, which is why I'm mm. saying that. But I think that's who I would pick. Her name is Susan uh, Kalechi Watson. Oh, perfect. Thank you so much. Yeah. Oh, wait till season oh, really? three. Oh, really? I, heard, season I actually three. heard there's oh, yeah. an episode uh, about her and her story. So I'm really yeah. looking forward to that because along the way in season one and two, I've been intrigued. Like, who is this woman? I think she has connections to Jamaica and my family has connections to Jamaica. Mm -hmm. So at least that's what I thought from season two. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> I won't give okay. it away yet. <laughs> so speaking of that, you mentioned Jamaica. So can you tell us a little bit about um, just your backstory yeah. a little bit. So I have read and researched that you grew up in Alaska. Is that correct? I did. Yeah. So my story is I am the Black American daughter of Jamaican immigrants. So my parents came to the States before I was born and they eventually made it to Alaska. And we can get into that quick story if you want in a few minutes, because people ask that all the time. But yeah, so then I was born and raised in Anchorage, Alaska, and I spent the first 18 years of my life there until I left for college. And I went to college in Pennsylvania. And subsequently, through my kind of late teens and 20s, I lived in quite a bunch of different places, many cities, several different countries. Mm. Eventually, I found my way to Cape Town, South Africa, where I met the man that I ended up marrying. He is from Zimbabwe, and he had gone to the University of Cape Town. And I was actually in Cape Town just after graduate school because I'd written a grant to go work with women in some of the townships in Cape Town, helping them start small businesses. Oh, awesome. I, my, um, my focus had been on like microfinance and entrepreneurship and things of that nature. And so I was in Cape Town, and I met the guy I would marry. And so when we got married. We actually got married in Jamaica because that's where my parents are from. And when we got married, I moved to Cape Town and I lived there for a couple oh, wow. of years. And then we actually came to Charlotte. So we live in Charlotte now. And that's kind of the quick version of the story. But 
often tell people because they kind of, <laughs> when they hear that story, they're kind of like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. As I keep naming more places and, and I say to them, yes, it's enough to write a book about. So that's what I did. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Becca, correct me if I'm wrong. Is Patrice our first Charlotte interview? Yes, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So this is, you know, so we're in Charlotte. She's in Charlotte. This is the first time we're actually interviewing someone in our home city. Yeah. That's great. I'm very excited about that. So what brought you all to Charlotte? Just out of curiosity. Yeah. No, I mean, it's a good question because neither of us was obviously from Charlotte. And I, I had actually never been to Charlotte in my entire life. It just so happened when we were in Cape Town, I had had my first child there and my mother was in Alaska and I wanted to be closer to my mother. So we thought, okay, we're going to move to the States. And my husband, he was working for a firm that had international Mm -hmm. locations at the time. There were a couple cities we were deciding between. We were deciding between Houston and Atlanta and Charlotte. And I had been to Houston and Atlanta before. And I remember thinking, oh, they're kind of big. I don't Mm -hmm. know. That might be larger than I want. And at the time, my sister was also enrolled in a PhD program at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And so we kind of thought, you know, my sister's in North Carolina. Charlotte seems like a manageable size of a place. We're people who know how to try again Mm, if something doesn't work out. So let's Mm. just try this. We'll just go. And if it doesn't seem like it's working, we'll try something else. And that was eight years ago. So I think in many ways, we would say it it's been working for us and we, so we, you know, we're still here and we, I, I feel personally that I've really settled into this space such that I, I have grown as a writer mm. in this community, but I think I've also grown in my other kind of gifts of speaking mm-hmm. into issues of justice, speaking into the importance of sharing personal stories and just doing this work. I got this really lovely text message from someone the other day who was saying, thank you for mm. all that you pour into our city. And I thought, wow, that's a neat thing to be in this place where I am giving yeah. to this place that's become another home for And me. such an affirmation, like it, of where yeah. you're at is the right place for this moment. Yes, absolutely. So yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I do talk about this a little bit in my book in terms of how we picked Charlotte. So many years ago, before I'd even met my husband, before I'd gone to South Africa, I was finishing up graduate school. So this was just before I met okay. my husband. I was finishing graduate school and I was kind of trying to think, where should I go after graduate school? Um, And I read this article in Black Enterprise. So I write about this in my book. Mm. And it listed 10, the top 10 cities for Black Americans. And Charlotte was on the list. And I remember thinking, oh, Hmm. maybe I want to go to one of these cities that they've listed. You know, being a Black woman myself, maybe I should go to one of these cities. And and then I ended up going to South Africa and I met my husband and that kind of went to the back of my mind. But then when it came time for us to actually think about moving to the States, I pulled out that list again and said, well, let's consider some of these cities. So I do kind of write about that in my book when I talk about how we even got here was there was that article from seven years ago in Black Enterprise that mentioned Charlotte. And hey, so here we are. So I'm so curious about that article now, just because growing up mostly um, in the western part of the United States, in California and Colorado myself, it. Charlotte mm-hmm. seems very segregated still um, in some ways. And so that that's really interesting to me. And so what was that article saying or what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so that's a good question in terms of what it was saying. I 
I would need to go back and find yeah. it. And I have at times over the years gone back to find it, but I, I can't entirely remember what it said. But what I do remember is that they said that there were a lot of opportunities mm-hmm. for Black people in mm-hmm. Charlotte, um, that, you know, that there were many spaces in which you would mm-hmm. go maybe to a place of employment and find other people gotcha. who look like you. Whereas in other parts of the country, mm-hmm. you're not seeing yeah, that as yeah. much, you know? I mean, growing up in Alaska, that that was rare that you would be in a place where there were plenty of other um, Black people. Now, that said, I will say once we did get to Charlotte, I did begin Mm -hmm. to realize, oh, this city is fairly segregated. Mm -hmm. So while there may be opportunities, it's maybe it's not as promising as it sounded initially. And I do also write about that. There's a whole kind of couple paragraphs in this one essay that I have in my book that explores living in Charlotte in the aftermath of the Charleston Mm -hmm. massacre. And I write about this idea of kind of the allure of the city and what was drawing us here. And maybe that allure was not really fully what we thought it was is kind of what I go into. Mm -hmm. So, so I do think it is this, there's kind of like this contrasting experience where I do feel as a black person in this city, I mean, this is a city that has Mm -hmm. black mayors. That's a sentence that I have in my book too. (laughs) That's something like a city that boasts having black mayors or something. I can't remember exactly what I say, you know, that you see people who are, who are kind of making strides Mm -hmm. and doing things. And yet at the same time, We've mm-hmm. all seen that statistic about yep. where Charlotte ranks in terms of upward yep. mobility in the city. And so, you know, so I, and I also, and, you know, we've, we had protests that happened in 2016 and, you know, there's lots of things that are going on that make it not as glossy as it might first appear or we might want it to be. So I think there's kind of that contrast in how do you exist within the Definitely. midst of that contrast. So speaking about that a little bit, going into a little bit more, that contrast so in Alaska, there was not as many people who were black, but then you come in the South and maybe this is a naive comment on my part, but the South would seem to, even though there may be a greater population as far as percentages of different races, there seems to be more prejudice here. We, it seems to be held here, or maybe it's just more blatantly out there and maybe it's hidden other Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. I think it makes sense. And, you know, I will say this. I was actually at an event just a couple days ago and someone asked a similar question. And I will say racism and prejudice exist Mm -hmm. everywhere. They, They exist everywhere. I think they take on different forms in different places. But I think we shouldn't think that there are places out there that are somehow free of yeah. maybe the ways in which our society was truly built on racism. Yeah. And so at that point, it infiltrates every pocket of the world. And I think, you know, it's unfortunate. I think when certain groups or certain geographical mm. locations mm-hmm. think that they are immune to such things mm. and that they then thrust all the blame on other parts of the country, because in that way, I think we can be very blind yeah, to ourselves. And point. so that, in fact, that essay that I wrote about living in Charlotte in the, in the aftermath of the Charleston massacre, there's this abiding image through the essay about this Confederate flag that I pass every day mm-hmm. when I'm driving to town to get my girls and stuff. And so there's this kind of image of the Confederate flag and it shows up in different places. But I also make mention of an experience seeing the Confederate flag when I was in Anchorage, because part mm-hmm. of that is to say, hey, 
this actually shows up more places than you that's, think. Yeah, and that's interesting. Yeah, that it's happening in more places than you think. It it you know it makes me think about this book called The Warmth of Other Suns by oh my goodness her name is slipping Wilkerson is her last name and her first name has just slipped me. So if you guys do show notes, yes. maybe oh that yeah, can no, be we'll definitely Warmth of Other okay, Suns. We'll put that in our show notes. And so she talks about this idea of the it's all about the Great Migration of Black people leaving the South and moving north and west and. Uh, one of the things she really delves into is this one person that she's tracking who leaves the South and goes to California. And the idea was that maybe, you know, there wouldn't, the racism that he experienced in the South wouldn't be in California. And yet he encounters racism as well there. Mm. I mean, it's different. It's not the same, yeah. but at the same time, it's still experiences with racism and prejudice and um, and it's still very present, even mm. in a place that you're trying to flee that you think would be safer and better. Uh, so I, I guess I'm just saying that I think you find these things all over. They just manifest themselves perhaps differently. Yeah. And the, I mean, it, they're embedded in our children's textbooks nationwide. So Right. Exactly. Right. I mean, I think the other thing that's interesting too, and I would have to think about this a little bit more, but I do feel like in a city like Charlotte, um, to some extent, people see people, you know, so you, you can, for example, have a mayor and um, see that a mayor is elected, like our current mayor, you can see she is a black woman. And people have that experience. So in fact, you are to some extent encountering, whereas in other parts of the country, you know, I feel like I meet people who really have never had conversations with someone of another race, or what I mean is like, they've never had a conversation with a black yeah. person. And so in that way, they're not really developing new ways of thinking mm -hmm. about this group of people and who, what they're basing their views on is yeah. what they're seeing in a textbook or something, yeah. which we know is skewed. Yeah, and so, um, so I do think to some extent, you know, when there is an abundance of people, at least in a way we can encounter some new narratives mm -hmm. that can shift the way we're thinking about people. That's a great point. I mean, uh, my wife and I, have, we've lived in Charlotte now for two and a half years. And okay. and, and yeah, we came, so we, we're more from the West Coast. Both of us grew up in Utah, which is mm. pretty white. And then um, and then, yeah. and then <laughs> for a while in, in the Phoenix area, um, in, in a very, okay. um, kind of, it's, called, it's Gilbert, Arizona, it's the suburbs of Phoenix. Um, from an affluence perspective, it's it's one of the least poor places. It's not one of the most affluent, but it's it has uh, you know I think as of recently as like three or four years ago, it had the fewest you know people in poverty. So it's it's both it's it's kind of just like white suburban utopia essentially. And and we we knew very little. I mean, um, if you go back, I think I think we talk about this in our first episode uh, a little bit about my story. A lot of um, a lot of my exit from the church I was at in, in Arizona had something, you know, you know, it, it, the impetus of it was kind of in, in Ferguson and some of what was happening, you know, back in 2014, mm -hmm. 2015. But, um, a motivator for us to come here was we want our kids to grow up, you know, almost, almost to some degree, the opposite of your point, you know, you, you know, you wanted to go somewhere where people looked like you, we wanted to go somewhere where mm -hmm. our kids would experience people who did not look like them. And, mm -hmm. Right, you know, and then right. so, and since getting here, I mean, we've gotten what has been 
um, kind of a crash course on we've just realized everything is so much more complicated. It's somewhat to your point, you, yeah, you, you know, absolutely. like, oh, let's go to let's go to a diverse place like Charlotte where, you know, where, you know, they've got this stuff figured out. Well, obviously we don't here, but, you know, at the very least, we kind of wanted that experience of diversity. And then and it's been it's been challenging, but great to to really kind of have that kind of drinking out of a fire hose crash course on you know, the history of the city, kind of the history of the South more broadly. Um, And so we are glad our kids are here and kind of growing up in, you know, in this area. Right, right. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, yeah, I think there definitely is neat ways if people put themselves in situations that there are neat ways we can connect with people who aren't the same Mm -hmm. as us. Mm -hmm. So Patrice, you talked a little bit about growing up in Alaska and living all over the world. The basis of our podcast is Um, as you know, is um, how individuals or people found permission to be who they are today or who gave them that permission or if they found it themselves. And I would love to hear kind of who or what, or if it was yourself, do you feel like gave you permission to be who you are today? Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. I love the idea of this podcast of permission to be, because I do think in a way that we, um, we're kind of moving in that direction through our lives and trying to figure out how can I be who I am. And, you know, I think one of the big things for me, and I, I I know I keep saying I write about some of these things in my book, but I have, I, I do uncover and kind of explore some of these topics. And there's this one particular moment. So I, um, I used to use a chemical straightener on my hair. So I used to chemically relax my hair from the age of 11 until about the age of 20, Yeah. And part of that was I, you know, growing up in a space where I was not seeing women really with hair like mine very much. Mm. Um, And and I think in some ways hair kind of becomes a stand in for me, at least for kind of trying to fit in with my Mm -hmm. world. So the girls around me, they had this long, straight hair and I wanted long, straight hair, too. And and so, you know, I, I was after that. And that's, um, I even remember, this was back in the 90s. And I just remember watching Friends and thinking, oh, I want my hair cut like the women on Friends when Rachel and what was the other one's name? Monica. Uh, anyways, they got these haircuts and Monica. Yeah. Um, and now I look back and I think, and that was so not who I was. And yet part mm. of the challenge was I was not seeing myself reflected in the mm. world. Like when you look yeah. at TV shows, when you look at what was out in YA literature at the time, when you Mm -hmm. think about who was in like teen magazine and YM and whatever these magazines were that I was reading, we were not seeing girls and women who looked like me. So instead, you know, you're kind of modeling yourself after someone who's actually, you're never going to be like. And so when I got to college, I made friends with this group of fierce, bold, wonderful black women. And they were like an inspiration to me because they totally took over the spaces they functioned in. They kind of taught me to be courageous. And I, I mean, they're still some of my closest friends and I just value what they poured into my life. And I remember one of the girls in the group, one of the women in the group, at one point she decided she was going to cut her relaxer out of her hair and she was going to go natural. And I thought, I want to do that too. I'm going to do that too. You know? And so I, um, yeah, so I was kind of going through this process as, um, so, so for those of you who don't really know much about chemical relaxers, 
it's something you permanently do to straighten your hair, but then you grow and the new growth comes and it's back to its normal texture. And so I remember Mm -hmm. I was 22 and I went to the hairstylist and I just remember saying to them, I want you to cut all of this off. I wanted kind of all Mm -hmm. the relaxed hair off. And this is not a statement about whether people should relax hair or not. This not at all. But for me, it was a significant time of saying, I am going to embrace the person that I am and the way that God made me. And so that was part of it is, so I think there was this sense of my friends speaking life into me, you know, Mm -hmm. you are valuable who you are. But at the same time, there was also this other narrative of Psalm 139 really reverberating through my mind that I'm fearfully and wonderfully Mm -hmm. made. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And just that sense like, to say that, to claim that, to believe that means that all of me is fearfully and wonderfully made. And so there was that sense like, I'm going to, I'm going to take ownership of this hair and say, this is beautiful. And this is me. And so that's what I did when I was 22. And I really think of that as a very pivotal moment in my life where I was saying, you know, this may not be what the world around me is going to say, but I am going to say, this is who I am, you know? And I mean, this may not be what the world around me is saying is beautiful or whatever, but I am going to say that this is who I am. And so, I mean, I think the neat thing now is in a way that story feels almost, I don't know, I don't want to say archaic, but there's so many women now who wear natural hair as black women who are, you know, who wear their hair, you know, just as it grows and things. And, but at the time when I stepped into that, it was, it wasn't as common. And, um, and I've written about that a little bit, just even some things that people have said to me over the years. Um, So yeah, so I think for me, that was like a pivotal moment in terms of be who you are, be who God made you to be. Absolutely. Yeah. Even if it seems archaic and like something that more people do now, just how that formed and changed you is huge and it just speaks oh I love that and I love that it speaks to community too I love that it speaks to your story speaks to how important it is um to be around people who just pour into you and help you rise up to be yourself absolutely and I wouldn't, I mean, I, I don't know about archaic at all. I mean, I, I can, as you were telling the story, a, a good friend of mine kind of went through that exact same experience. Um, yeah. I don't know, maybe two or three years ago at, at you know, so, right. so, yeah. so very similar, you know, she grew up, it, this was someone I knew from Utah, which, you know, I, I said earlier, yeah. like super white. And, and so she kind of had that same yeah, mentality yeah. And, and, you know, just a couple of years ago, I was like, mm-hmm. no, I'm not doing that anymore. And yeah, and and right, she would describe it, I right. think, as really liberating and empowering, and 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 a lot of the same yeah. way that you just did now. So I think it's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, I do. I think it. Um, I think it's neat, and and like I said, I do want to emphasize. I don't want this to be a oh, you one should never do that sure, or any sure. kind of yeah, yeah, commentary yeah. on hair. That's actually one thing I have said to some friends about. You know, I mentioned Beth's character, Susan. Sorry, I'm forgetting her name. You said uh, her whole name, but that's. Um, Beth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, she, um, one of the things, at least in season one and season two, I was saying to my husband is, I just love how her hair changes from episode to episode, like what she's doing with it. And, you know, there, there's no commentary on what people have to do or what people should be doing. But I think there is a sense of trying to say, actually, I'm not going to submit myself to the standard mm-hmm. of white beauty. And I'm actually going to mm-hmm. own the beauty mm-hmm. that God gave me. Yeah, well said. Mm. Yes. I'm curious. Um, 
that was, it sounds like a very joyful moment, which is awesome. But <laughs> what can you share? Maybe a story or a time in your life that really, um, that you really were kind of that struggle to move yeah. forward into who yeah, you are. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can definitely, I would say, you know, I mentioned earlier that I met my husband in South Africa in Cape Town and mm -hmm. I was there for 10 weeks working on a project. And then I actually went back to Alaska and we were kind of communicating long distance before we actually got married. Mm -hmm. And when I moved back to Cape Town, I did not have a work permit. Um, at the time, we did not have a car. And I just remember in the first like months of being in Cape Town, I was so lonely. I was extremely lonely. I had just given up kind of work that I loved that I was doing. I was working in this um, domestic microfinance position with the YWCA. I had just started this eliminating racism mm. book club. I I was used to being a person who kind of like planned conferences and brought in speakers and Suddenly, I had no work per mm -hmm. permit. I really didn't have the ability to easily get around the city. And I was kind of just like stuck in this spot. And um, and also, yeah. like I said, just lonely, not really knowing a lot of people, even though I was trying to reach out and make friends and make connections. It, you know, that doesn't just happen yeah. overnight. And I just no. remember... Um, it was one of the hardest times, even as it was joyful, because now I'm married to this person I love and we're sharing a life together. And this is wonderful. Yeah. And yet there's this kind of deep loneliness. And I think what was happening in that space and in that time is that there was mm -hmm. a shifting of what it was that I was going to be about in the days coming, like mm -hmm. the days ahead what it was I was going to be about. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I had historically, um, or I had prepared for this career in community development, and I was going to be working yeah. with under-resourced communities and financial empowerment programs. But actually, there was this shift that was taking place, and I didn't know that was happening. And so you were in this in-between season, and you don't know what's ahead, but what you, you see what you've left behind, what you're not doing. And it's just kind of isolating and lonely. And it was in that season that I started writing. And I had no idea that was coming because I was never one of these people who thought, Ooh, when I grow up, I want to be a writer. That wasn't, you know, that wasn't really? on my mind. I studied engineering in undergraduate mm -hmm. and I was going to, mm -hmm. you know, be an engineer and I don't know, do whatever engineers yeah. do. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, so I, I did not see that coming. And that is actually what was birthed from that season, from that really hard season, is that I started writing in that season and I had no idea that it was going to become what it has become today. Like I couldn't have foreseen that I was going to end up writing this book. I couldn't have foreseen that I would have, I would receive these grants and awards and different things like that, that I would start teaching other people about writing, that it would become about more than just writing. It would become about the ways in which we share personal stories as a ways, a way to bridge divides and shift the ways people think and promote a more equitable world. You know, I just had no idea that that was actually where this was going to go, but I, it was a hard season. It was a very hard season. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so you just um, kind of gave us a sneak peek about some other things you were doing in addition to um, your book yeah. coming out and 
um, writing. Tell us a little bit yeah, more about absolutely. that. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so I wrote this book. It's an essay collection. And I tell people that it's a collection of my personal stories around topics like race, race relations, racial identity formation, immigration experiences, and things of that nature. And really just a general sense of searching for belonging and place in the world. And one of the things I tell people is that I have written my story. I wrote a story, like wrote the story of my life into this book. But I like to emphasize that, yes, it's true. Not everyone is going to write a book. Not everyone's even going to write an essay. But what I believe very strongly is everybody still has a story about who they are and um, a story that is important out there in the world. And so what I believe very strongly is in the abundance of stories, when we share our stories with each other, this is the ways in which we begin to see the world in a different kind of way. And when we are people who can see the world in a different type of way, that's when we're actually able to better address injustices that might be happening, better understand injustices, and potentially bridge divides between human beings. And so, so this work that I do now that's kind of springboard out of this book is that I often will go to places and speak about the power of personal storytelling and how we are in a better position to understand each other. And so when we share stories with each other, I like to say that we, um, we recognize our commonalities and then we can honor our differences. And when our differences lead to injustice, we can work to address the injustices um, that exist. And so, so that's what I, you know, I'm involved with and what I do through all sorts of different ways. I was just actually speaking to middle schoolers um, on Monday about their stories and leading them through activities of kind of identifying their stories. And it was so neat because I was asking for people to stand up and share things they'd written and people would read things and people would say, I never knew that Mm -hmm. about you. I never knew that about you. Or I had these kids do exercises where they were writing about their names and it it just really blessed my heart to hear so many of these girls particularly talk about their names with such pride and say my name is unique i'm the only one who has this name and you know and they're just brimming with joy about it and i think that is so great yeah. it's so great and that was something i said to them as i left i was like some of you are going to grow up and write books and that's great not all of you will But I hope today you will remember that you all have stories. You all had stories here. And it mattered that you guys shared them with each other. Yeah. It gives me goosebumps. (laughs) (laughs) That's so amazing. Oh, my goodness. Wow. I actually like teared up. Um, It just, especially middle schoolers, it it's just such an awkward time and to hear um, about girls being proud of who they are and where they come from and the name that belongs to them. Like that is just, that's an amazing gift Patrice that you showed them. Like that's just, uh, I am thankful that you're doing that work and many other works, but especially that work. I just remember being a young middle school girl and I just, think if I had had that experience, I think that would have been one of those um, dots on yeah. my life map that um, had made significant yeah. change. So um, yeah, absolutely. thank you. I'll just say that even though I wasn't yeah. even a part of that, that just yeah. is. Um, it, well, awesome. you know, it's interesting because I was part of something else that was happening here in Charlotte earlier this year. So I am part of something called the Charlotte Center for the mm. Literary Arts or Charlotte Lit. 
is the name of the organization and they do stuff for writers and people interested in kind of the literary arts here in Charlotte, but they received a grant from the North Carolina arts council to implement a program called the beautiful truth initiative. And what it was is that they, um, They had workshops at libraries across the city, bringing strangers together to write together for an hour and a half about their own stories and then creating a space where people could share those stories with one another. And I had the immense privilege of writing the curriculum that went Mm. out to all the libraries. So I was I wrote kind of the activities that people were engaging with, that people were um, just that people were going to be using. And I you know, I heard from people who told me these ways in which they had connected with each other because of just these activities and invitations to write and think about their own experiences and then hear and listen to others. And I, uh, yeah, I just really believe in that kind of work. I believe, I believe very much in the pursuit of equity in our world and in the pursuit of justice and racial justice, particularly, there's lots of different ways people enter in to addressing that. And I think this is just one avenue in which we do it. And it's an avenue I care about very much. Well, and like, for example, going back to the girls, I mean, just if you take and what girls pit against each other a lot, it's easy for girls to get jealous, but just to hear that uniqueness and to hear somebody mm-hmm. else's story, then I, I feel like you you stop just right. making assumptions. All of a sudden, you're peering into that yeah. soul for a brief moment or yeah. however long, and and those assumptions that you have made get flattened yeah. and pushed back yeah, by reality. Um, and that's just such a yeah, beautiful absolutely. thing. Absolutely, I think so. And you know the. Other thing that I think is very powerful about even being people who believe in stories, I think even when we don't necessarily hear someone's story, I think it's easier for us to believe that there Mm. is a story and that I think we as human beings are more generous towards one another when we do believe that there is a story. When we do actually believe, I, I remember, I think it was a pastor, someone once said, you know, there's at least one more thing about someone, another human being that you don't know. And I think if we are people who walk through this world, believing that other, everyone else has some sort of story, we can believe that even if we don't know it, it's there. And that I think even in that belief can lead us to greater understanding amongst human beings. Mm, Well said. Oh, I love that. Definitely. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Somebody put that (laughs) on the wall. (laughs) Like, <laughs> oh, and we just need to see each other. And if, yeah, that's such a good perspective of just, if we can hold that in front of us, that there's always one more story. Oh, I love that. So do you have anything that's coming up that you would want to talk about or share or uh, maybe, you know, in the summertime of um, this year? Yeah, I, um, well, I will say, so I have been really busy. My book came out in August and I have been kind of moving from event to event to event over the last, I guess, what is this, seven months now, almost Mm -hmm. eight months that the book has been out. So August or April, I'm kind of doing some of my final 
events, and then I'm going to be taking the summer off. So people who are interested and want to see where just my some of my upcoming appearances are going to be, my website is a great mm-hmm. place to go. I keep that pretty updated. So it's patricegopo.com. And if you just go in, you'll, you can see what I have listed. There are a few different literary festivals that I'm going to be part of. Um, I guess at the end of March, I'll be part of a couple literary festivals. And then I'm going to be speaking at a conference in April up in Boston and just a few other things, not super huge things, but people can absolutely sign up for my newsletter through my website. So if they go to the subscribe tab of my newsletter, you can subscribe to my newsletter and I keep people updated of where I'm going to be, where I'm going to be speaking, whatever it is that I'm going to be up to. And um, friends who are listening, we have a special treat that, um, after you listen to this wonderful podcast and um, fall in love with Patrice and her words and her work, um, if you go and subscribe um, at patricegopo.com, um, and then once you do that, if you will comment on one of um, the social media posts for this um, podcast, either Instagram or Facebook, um, Patrice has been so kind and we're going to give away one of her books, um, which is a, I mean, obviously you've been listening. You can't help but be blessed and learn and have more, um, perspective after reading her essays. Yeah. I, I'm excited about giving away one book to one of your uh, listeners. That'll be great. All right. Thank you, Patrice, so much for joining us um, today. It has been <laughs> Honestly, it's been fun. Like, I just have loved talking with you and getting to know you. Yeah, thank you, both of you. This has been a lot of fun. I enjoyed your questions and I enjoyed the conversation. And I just hope that things that we talked about will, you know, I don't know, be an encouragement, be a conviction, be something that kind of keeps your readers moving or not readers, (laughs) I'm sorry, your listeners kind of moving forward. Awesome. Patrice, can you tell everybody one more time um, where they can find you on social media and your website? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So my website is patricegopo.com and you can find me on Facebook at at Patrice Gopo Writes and my Instagram account is at Patrice Gopo. And that's the same as my Twitter account, but I have to say, I don't use my Twitter account a whole lot. So no don't worries. go there hoping to find it. <laughs> no worries. Well, everybody, thank you for joining us for another episode of Permission to Be. I'm your host, Becca Epley. And again, thank you to my co-host, David. And thank you to Patrice for joining us and just for being willing to share your life and your some of your story with us. 